Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, Episode 4 for July 27th, 2017. Due to a number of factors that were out of our control, we've got an abbreviated episode for you this week with selected answers and excerpts for the majority of the stories that were on our docket. We appreciate you bearing with us uh, through the technical difficulties we suffered this week, and we greatly, greatly appreciate all of our listeners uh, who have listened to this show every week and listened to our other Voice First FM programming as well. We greatly appreciate you all. We will be back with a full episode of This Week in Voice next week. Uh, but for now, enjoy This Week in Voice. Thank you very much. With that, we will get to the news. So our first story this week is Facebook is building its own Echo Show competitor. This thing looks exactly like the Echo Show, same form factor. And my question for the panel is not whether Facebook has the technical competence to build a smart speaker like this or it has the, the resources to do it. Uh, we know that those things are true. The question is whether Facebook is a trusted enough company to succeed in selling such a product. And Brian, I'm going to start with you. What are your thoughts and do you think that Facebook can be successful in doing what they're doing with this Echo Show competitor? Well, thank you, Bradley. Uh, really interesting question, and there's a lot of elements to this. So I'm going to focus in on what I think this is really about and why I think it's really important for Facebook and ultimately for its users. Uh, a lot of observers might see this as a knee-jerk reaction to what Amazon is doing and what Google is doing. And in some ways, that may be true, but it is, isn't really on the grand scheme of things. I really believe that in the long arc, Facebook wants to be the company that brings actionable and useful AI into the home. And uh, this is going to be the manifestation to do it. We're moving into a post-PC and post-mobile first world into a voice first world. But what that really means is that we're going to be interacting with AI. Voice first isn't in a vacuum. It's not voice only. It's the modality that we're going to be using to interact with these new AI systems. And Facebook has been feverishly building around this from Facebook M to the Jarvis project uh, all, all across their entire platform. And I don't believe that we're going to be feverishly tapping our thumbs on screens to access this AI. It's going to manifest into what nature gave us and Broca's area, our voice, our ability to communicate, highly evolved and very accurate in, uh, in its use, actually. So what I believe we're going to be seeing, I call it a glance. Uh, we're going to be seeing a 15-inch screen which, you know, is going to be more than just a screen. It's going to be very, what I would call, artfully designed with a very high fidelity, very heavy magnet speaker. So it's also going to be, uh, you know, streaming music and audio content, but it's going to allow you to have a glance into your Facebook world. And, you know, a theme that Ahmed and I have been talking about since the beginning of uh, This Week in Voice is it allows us to maybe get out of our devices and get more ambient. And this allows us to sort of maybe glance up and see what's going on in Facebook. Do I need to stop what I'm doing, switch modes and go into the app, or can I consume it at a distance? And I believe Facebook understands that 
maybe some, if not maybe a majority of Facebook consumption will wind up being this way. And it's going to be mediated by voice. It's going to be, you know, a, a grandparent saying, what's my grandkids doing today? And Facebook's Jarvis, if you will, will surface up pictures and video and uh, location data, what they had for lunch, all sorts of things, obviously with permission. It's stuff that's already out there, but it's you not feverishly digging and trying to find it or asking, you know, what news is important to you. Hopefully it's news that's uh, useful and valuable, you know, and um, I think that's the concept. So it's, it's not so much competing with these devices, because my thesis is very clear on this from day one. We're going to own many voice-first devices, you know, from our front doors to our appliances to our single-purpose voice-first systems to our uh, mobile devices. All of them are going to ultimately be voice-first, and we're going to use them all, and it's going to be effortless in a sense, because at some point, our context will connect across all devices. That's when it becomes purely magical. And that's going to be similar to what happened when AOL and CompuServe opened up to internet email, this sharing of contextual permission-based, you know, uh, short-lived contextual information across a multitude of devices. And I believe Facebook is probably going to lead that. It's going to have a developer economy. And um, I think no matter what matrix you use, Uh, In the arc of 10 years, it's going to be seen not only as successful, but it's going to be seen as the predominant way that we're going to be accessing Facebook in the future. I think my my problem, it's called a problem with Facebook, is that it is an addictive technology. Um, Basically, about, I don't know, four months ago, um, due to many reasons, I, I simply told all my friends that I'm purging them from my friends list and I kept only my immediate family and that basically took my usage of Facebook by, I don't know, 90%. I don't, I don't use Facebook anymore. It was just polluting my life big time. Now, I think what Facebook is going after, I'm going to call it ubiquitous addiction. They want you to be using Facebook at every moment of your life, which means I'll give you, I'll give you a vision, right? So imagine you have a nice sleek flat surface on your kitchen wall and you have one in your bathroom that uh, Facebook uh, is selling. Uh, one in your bedroom, and so you can look at your news feed while cooking, you know, while sitting in your favorite toilet seats, changing clothes, uh, where you are scrolling by saying scroll up and down, where you say I want to watch that video, and so that you are always looking at Facebook, you're living in the Facebook world constantly, and that worries me. I, you know, Brian and I have talked about this many times. I, I, I have an instinct or I have an aversion, let's say, for any technology that is addictive. And the reason why I like the Echo um, is because it takes me away from being plugged into this artificial world. It is an artificial world, Facebook, to a certain extent. Um, obviously, for example, um, having kept only my, my family who live in Algeria far away from me, my family who lives in France, I'm able to to actually have real moments with them, you know, interact with them and so forth. So it does, it is not inherently antisocial, but it can easily be what, in fact, it is designed to be addictive. You know, if you read this book uh, by uh, Muriel called Hooked, um, they are... Great her, book. Yeah, great, great book. book. Yeah. They, they explain the mechanisms for getting people hooked. Now, um, extending that so that you're able to do Facebook... In any any use case, so they extend the use cases of Facebook. I think um, 
I think is worrisome to a certain extent now. But, uh, you know, the bottom line really is, and I think this is the thing that we have said many times already, is um, uh, just drives the point home that we will all have to be willful and smart and conscious and not naive consumers of tech. tech technology is only an AI. It's only going to get more and more and more powerful. Basically, we're taking this knife and we're sharpening it and sharpening it and sharpening it. And we have to watch out uh, how to use it. Um, we can, uh, with, with the ability to do, connect with your friends and so forth and all these use cases, I think that's wonderful, but it just brings the point home that we have to be careful not to be completely consumed by Facebook 18 hours a day because now we can do it at any moment, um, uh, you know, uh, in our, as opposed to being a lot more connected to uh, each other and nature and so on. Our, uh, our next story is the, a big report in the Rolling Stone, very interesting write, uh, write-up uh, about how smart devices can violate your privacy. And at this point, anybody who's following this industry is used to seeing, you know, various think pieces come out uh, discussing uh, privacy as it relates to smart speakers and so forth. Uh, but this one I thought was particularly well written um, and, and circumspect. And so my question, Ahmed, I'll start with you. Um, where are we at with privacy right now as it relates to voice technology? Um, are Amazon's and the sales of the Echo and the Echo Dot seem to suggest people are over it. But uh, how did this article strike you and where do you think we're at in the privacy debate uh, as of today? I think the privacy debate is over, basically. I think the amount of detailed, personal, easily accessible, easily searchable data, um, I think that we share with the world about ourselves, through Facebook, through our, through our you know, status updates, and through sharing, and through uh, posting, and through, um, and through liking, and uh, posting images of ourselves, and the thing knows my face now, and knows my friend's face. All that dwarfs, right, whatever the echo other devices could be could ever provide. I mean, they, they you know definitely the voice is a special thing and so forth. But if we're talking about pure information, I think the, inf uh, the uh, that information that's collected is not easily easily searchable. It's not uh, you know it's not easily hackable and so forth. And then add to that Gmail, right? So I you know I, I spend I don't know eighty percent of my day you know, sending Gmails, uh, email through Gmail, and and sending files and so on. Um, so that's uh, that's a that's in the cloud. That's a that's a that's a, 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 a you know a company that uh, that uh, gave me terms and conditions that I didn't read and I just said sure. Um, and so and the second thing is the iPhone uh, um, success and younger like the seven and the Android based phones uh, have been doing the exact same thing right as the Echo and Google for a while now. Meaning they're listening all the time and they have wake up word and 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 if you suspect Echo and Dot, Google Home and uh, the Home card and Cortana is coming up and all. Uh, then you should also uh, throw those into the mix. Um, anyway, I don't know if that this answers anything. It's just that I think um, I think it's a good thing to talk about privacy. By the way, I think if if it takes hype because uh, of the of the voice device that we were forced to talk about it, I think I think we should. And again, I go back to the main point, which is we're getting to a point where we just need to we just start thinking seriously about what is technology um, doing to our lives and and, and how is it. Um, creating risk for us and we we we, we are way way um, naive uh, compared to where we need to be in terms of our thinking about um, about this welter of tech out there that is about to that is we're already swimming in it and is about to uh, grow even more uh, in the near future 
Turning to story number three, former Amazon and Microsoft employees have united to launch Roxy, which is a smart speaker aimed at business use. And there's a very interesting quote in this article, which we've called out on the news page here. We're obviously placing a bet here, but we don't believe that today's consumer-facing speech-enabled devices, namely Alexa, will ever be the best tool for the job for businesses. That's a pretty provocative statement. And Adam, I'll start with you. Do you agree with that? And what do you think about uh, this Roxy project? Yeah, well, first off, I 100% agree with that statement that uh, Amazon might not be the best voice uh, platform for enterprise. That said, uh, we have Microsoft and Google coming in with billions of dollars to invest in this project. And they have a very vested interest with Microsoft Office and Google, the G Suite, to be good at enterprise applications. So I think there's a real opportunity for a player to uh, excel at meetings and uh, enterprise verticals. I think it's going to be a tough slog for Roxy to, as an independent player with a few million in funding, to compete with the billions of dollars being spent by the big platforms. You know, as I said earlier, my thesis is that we're going to be owning a number of voice-first systems throughout our um, our lives, and uh, and certainly uh, all at once. And I think each one of these systems will endear themselves to us in different ways. And it's not like we're committing to an operating system. I think the old modalities that we've had, you know, I am an iOS person or an Android person or a PC or a Mac. I think we're we're all done with that. In this post-PC, post-mobile world, we're going to be communicating on many different levels with many different devices. The unifying experiences are going to be interesting. Somebody can own that across a multitude of devices. And this is where it gets very interesting for startups or even legacy companies that are astute enough to realize. Now, building a system specifically for business is very interesting because I think that it is probably one of the most interesting elements of the voice-first revolution is how our business is going to respond to business-consumer interactions. And what are those platforms going to look like? And what are the freedoms of expression that somebody can have within the software of those platforms? The biggest issue is controlling destiny. I'll give you an example. If I was McDonald's and I fully believed and indoctrinated into the future of voice-first, what would it look like for the McDonald's brand to live inside of a McDonald's device or inside of another device? Now, this is a short, a short thought experiment, but it really kind of brings this idea home that a merchant is dominating this market already. That merchant is called Amazon. And we constantly have this play between tech companies create tech products well, the reality is a voice-first revolution was developed and deployed by a merchant. And it just so happens to understand and use tech. And that's no accident. So I, first off, I love Betaworks and I love the folks there. They're doing incredible work. And they went through a very deep uh, process to evaluate. And I got to know Roxy through what Betaworks did by surfacing them. And I really believe that not only the founders are onto something, I believe the founders are humble enough to realize that they don't need to have to have a winner-take-all mentality, that if they can segment use cases where this becomes immensely valuable, 
Uh, you know, if I was uh, along, I, I would show some vertical use cases where it's absolutely needed. I can name some of them. Hospitality and medical are really the lowest hanging fruits on the tree. I know exactly how to engineer that. Uh, there are places, I'll give you an example, HIPAA, uh, the Health uh, Compliancy Act. HIPAA compliancy is not available on any of the open market voice first systems. And uh, medical uh, use cases, as you know, Bradley, is going to become immensely important. These systems need to find ways to solve HIPAA compliances. And I believe entrepreneurs may get there before larger companies. So I think Roxy has a possibility if they look at some of these vertical cases. You brought up a great point where uh, I think they brought up the hospitality kind of example. That's nice. I think the medical in-hospital with prescriptions, with doctors, HIPAA, that is where it's real enterprise grade and there's so much specialization. I think Roxy has a real opportunity and I'm excited for them to kind of push the boundaries and do it without waiting for the general purpose platform to give them what they need to be effective. Adam, that is it right there. I mean, that is the bold entrepreneur. That is what we love about startups. They're not asking for permission. They're going out there. They're claiming the territory. And if they go into some of these verticals, I've identified about 370 uh, SIC verticals where voice really needs to segment. And medical could support a trillion-dollar industry right there. Yeah, I'll just add that um, I I think the the article says that the market is crowded, but I I think um, that's an overstatement. I think it is crowded with devices from the big ones, but uh, the big ones are consumer-focused, and I think um, uh, they don't know. I I think they don't know how to deliver um, deliver for voice first to businesses. And I think anyone who specializes in, I mean, they could have a great business just focusing on devices for the hotel and build the best possible device for the hotel use case or for the hospital use case and go deep, you know, a lot deeper than, uh, than what any of these big giants can go into. And so I think they definitely have a, a play. I think they will need to have a lot of financing because they're into hardware and they need to be able to scale. Uh, I think for sure the use case is, is very well defined. There's a lot of value there. Um, so I think I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very much cheering for them. Uh, I think they will be one amongst many. I think the fact that they chose the business, uh, the business side of um, of the market, focusing on business use cases is very smart. Uh, and, and I think um, it would be good for other companies to do the same. If somebody wants to, to get into the hardware um, slash um, business. A use case, I think uh, there's plenty of opportunity out there. It just takes um, you know, uh, leadership and uh, a desire to go and conquer. Story number four, bringing out the big guns. Apple partnered this week with Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, to produce a very interesting and actually very entertaining short film promoting Siri usage. I thought it was great. Adam, what do you think? First off, the ad was entertaining, and it's great to see Apple put Siri front and center again. It's been a few years since Siri was really the focal point, and it looks like uh, they have caught the wave that Alexa and Assistant are here to stay, and it's time for them to uh, invest in voice-first and voice-capable devices. You know What was fascinating about it is if you looked at all the things The Rock did, only one time did he ask for a third-party service. I think that was getting a Lyft uh, rideshare. 
And so it speaks to how many third-party developers are on Siri right now, have built new capabilities for Siri, and it's still very, very few. And so we're going to find out if Apple wants to try and do it all themselves or if they're going to support a robust ecosystem of third-party developers to help them innovate. I think uh, Amazon has taken a full-force approach to get 15,000 third-party developers to help them with their platform. We're going to find out if Apple is going to take a closed or open approach, which I think will have huge implications on uh, its long-term success or failure. Turning to story number five, Harvard Business Review published an article this week discussing that AI may soon replace even the most elite consultants. Ahmed, this was a pretty fascinating piece that HBR put together. What uh, what did you take away? Well, this touches on a, on a, on a topic that's that's um, near and dear to my heart, which is um, uh, the impact of automation on society. Um, and it has been ongoing for a long time now. What, uh, what we have seen is uh, a high increase in productivity. People are producing uh, a lot more for the dollars they're given. And, um, and so um, I, I think, I think and, it, and that this issue of automation has been basically ignored, right? Because um, the people who are, been hurt are not people who are who can who are moneyed and who can uh, organize and all that and so forth and so I think uh, just like uh, if you guys remember you know the affliction of you know crack cocaine we we ignored that until now we have uh, we have an affliction that is uh, that is attacking the you know the um, you know the, the the middle class right with this. Um, um, this uh, drug thing, um, I'm getting, the opioid getting, crisis. Yeah, yeah, exactly, opioid crisis. Same thing with AIDS. Remember, we for a whole decade it was forgotten until until the, uh, the middle class was hit, and uh, and there was there was a famous uh, case of uh, a teenager from Ohio. His name was Ryan Ryan Wayne White, uh, uh, who uh, he he became uh, basically a national poster um, for for uh, child for HIV AIDS. Uh, because he was not allowed to go back to school because of AIDS diagnosis. Now, just, that was just a turning point. All of a sudden, it became a crisis, right? Because it hits the mainstream uh, and, and, in, and was not hitting the, the, the fringes, right? So right now, I think automation, which has been uh, hitting uh, in, in a real way, uh, you know, the lower classes and, and the uh, low middle classes, people who, who are losing jobs, good jobs, cashier jobs, jobs that are, um, uh, you know, waypoints towards a better, a better, uh, a better job, uh, where you get trained to be, you know, to to know how to work. Um, jobs like um, we're gonna lose driving drivers, right, with the with driverless car, and we've been happily going forward, uh, thinking that it's all good, right? It's okay that because we're not being hit by it. Uh, I'm very glad, to be honest with you, that now the educated and the elite are going to be hurt by this. So that he's going to force it. He's going to force the issue. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about how, how we're, going to, we're going to have concepts like uh, human beings are not fungible, right? These intellectuals <laughs> are going to say, right? Um, I love that. Uh, before that, uh, they, they, the issue didn't exist, right? Uh, we're going to hear about how we need to be smart about automation all of a sudden because, because people who have, um, you know, who, have, uh, who are articulate and who are, who are connected and who are money and all that, I'm not going to create a movement, and we're going to treat this um, this issue. So I think I'm glad that automation is finally hitting, you know, uh, lawyers, hitting hopefully software engineers, people who have taken it for granted, who have been insulated from the impact of automation, 
and I think then and then I think then we'll see some traction. That traction is going to help people across the board. We'll deal with this with this affliction just like we dealt with the previous afflictions once we decided that it was something we had to deal with. So we will move on to story number six, which is a roundup of various Google news. First of all, VoiceBot AI reported this week that GE appliances are getting Google integration uh, with Google Assistant, which is uh, pretty neat. And then also the CEO of Google uh, discussed this week ramping up both marketing expenditure and headcount in support of Google's voice-first approach. So, Brian, my question to you is, is what Google is doing enough? Um, and in general, where do you think Google ranks in term, relative to Amazon? You know, the perception, I think, is that Google is maybe slightly behind Amazon, but maybe that's not the truth. How do you view Google in this marketplace? Wow. This is, um, this is a really complex question, but I can, I can probably distill it down to a couple of elements. You know, in in some ways, this was Google's market to lose, and they were really sort of late to the manifestation of voice first into a device. And that came about, I think, because of cultural differences between how the company views hardware versus a merchant, which was Amazon, how they viewed hardware. It also comes down to the fundamental principles within each company. And, you know, Ahmed and I can't stress this enough about this, this whole litany of things that need to be solved to build ecosystems. But, you know, I guess the day one for all of this, to use an Amazon sort of term, is privacy. You know, there's, there's no other way to get around this. If we're going to be building AI that is going to be wrapping itself around the human existence, we have to think about how this AI is going to impact our life. And we have to think about how privacy exists in this world. Yep. And it's not, you know, hey, hey, you didn't read the one click uh, 9,000 pages that you click through to agree. We have to be in front of that. It's not, it's beyond do no evil. I think it's leading with do good, you know, and that means that we're looking out for the user of this system. And we, we always loop around this, this whole idea that we have this microphone in our home that's listening to us 24-7. You know, we really need to pay attention to what that means to human beings. How do we make that person comfortable with that notion? How do we tell them very clearly that microphone right now is recording them? And right now it's transmitting that to a, to a, a server somewhere. I think all of those points have to be clearly demarked because if we don't do it voluntarily, it will be forced in a way that will be regulated and probably not in the best sense. So I think Google can really raise itself up to this level. So that's that's the, the, the basis of this. The next level is a developer ecosystem. Google has so many benefits, and Ahmed can uh, attest to this, and they're playing to those benefits, but there's some aspects they're not playing to, and that's reaching out to a wider group of developers that are not necessarily coders. I believe as we have tools, a company called Kit AI, Kit AI, I, I got to know the founder really well, and uh, uh, they're up in Washington, and they actually ironically got a, uh, an investment from uh, the Alexa Fund. They ultimately got acquired uh, by a company, uh, I'm trying to remember now, is uh, one, um, uh, one of the Chinese uh, mobile companies. And it's a heartbreak to me because what Kit made was a graphical programming interface 
to voice-first development across a multitude of platforms. This is a powerful thing because what Kit was able to do was pull in people that were more creative, but not necessarily technical coders, into creating incredible uh, solutions and use cases. And they were just getting to market on some of these things. And I was very privileged to see what this development was like, like, and then it got snapped up. And, you know, I think Google would do well in, into reaching out much further into an ecosystem. And Ahmed does so much work in trying to, you know, increase uh, the development in these platforms. And I think making these tools simpler and more available and affordable to some people, because some investments on this is, is going to get quite uh, complex as we start trying to monetize. And then there's cloud costs yep. and, uh, and database hits. You know, you can't, you can't make those things work without monetization. And that's the other thing yeah. is Google can lead in monetization. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It, it, yeah it, it's not going to be an app store. And we, again, it's going to be an ongoing theme Something here. else, yeah. Something uh, else entirely. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to ask you, actually, it just occurred to me, yeah. and I think I think we talked about it earlier. I'm, uh, I'm curious to uh, to get um, your your thoughts on it. Uh, so we, we were talking. We I think we were talking about how um, how we started with the cloud back in the 70, early seventies. Yes. And then we went to PC. And now we're back in the cloud. Uh, do you think that I know and the reason why we went to the uh, where we were in the cloud in the, before because it was way too expensive to build uh, hardware uh, for the millions, right? And then and then we had hardware for the millions, and then it became way too expensive to have powerful software in the PC. Um, and also, we wanted to be able to access software from anywhere, right? From wherever you are, you want to access your Salesforce.com and so forth. So SaaS on the cloud was invented. Do you think, do you think that we uh, that the next maybe the next iteration is we're going to go back away from the cloud or maybe something where data is not in the cloud, logic is in the cloud, but data is local to you and nobody has access to access to it, um, access to it other than you um, giving permission to whoever you want to give permission to, so that then you can have your cake and eat it too in a way, right? You can have powerful brains up there. But you have your um, you you have your um, data that you prize that you allow only certain people that you trust uh, to get in and to get only what they um, what they want. And I think we talked about this probably a couple of times, but I wanted to uh, just get get the audience to to benefit from those thoughts that you have. Ahmed, it's so brilliant the way you put that because that is the hybrid that I've been dreaming about for for a better part of a decade you know i see the pendulum swinging to the cloud and and you know we we always remember the things of how we got there and so we're very cloud centric and we think that that's going to go on forever but i really believe that there is already a momentum going in the other direction and so i believe that the only way that this is ultimately going to work out for humanity and I don't want to make it sound over, overly dramatic but once you give 100% of your context to this system the only way you could ever possibly want your mom, your daughter, your son, your grandchildren, everybody on it, is that there are materially material protections to those images, the video, uh, the audio, all those snippets. And it's going to require a rethinking about the structures of these companies, the way they monetize themselves. We already know that the pay-per-click modality is over in a voice-first world. And, and, and bidding on the best result 
is not the best thing for the person using that system because in a competitive world, somebody's going to say, listen, I'm just going to give you the best result and ain't nobody bidding on that. And sooner or later, the, the marketplace, the marketplace will win. And so getting back to the, 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 the fundamental question is, yes, I believe the context that you create, and that's what I, I, I generally put it under that bucket of context, has to be local, has to be encrypted, and it can't be online 24-7. It has to be online situational. It's slipped out under the door only for a specific purpose, and then it's, it's deleted. And that gives people security. Now, how that manifests, that's for us, everybody listening to us, to invent. This is not just a legacy company uh, proposition. This is potentially a startup proposition. In fact, I think it's so big, it's going to create maybe three or four Google-sized companies yeah. to make these things happen. It's a mixture of hardware, software, and human engineering in a sense of how we think about these devices. But getting onto the greater thing about the Google environment is Google has some of the most incredible voice leaders. I mean, you had one of them on there. I am just absolutely in awe of her talent and Nandini. Uh, Nandini Stalker is, you know, I really think it, it's, it's people with these types of talents that are going to be leading these revolutions. I put out a tweet that I think some people maybe have gotten wrong. And I said it because I think it needs to be said that a lot of the revolution is going to be led by females. And I think it has to do with one primary reason is that I think instinctively and genetically women get conversation and dialogue to a much greater degree for so many genetic reasons and so many ancestral reasons that they, they, I see them instinctively getting the directional of how voice is going to go and how this is going to be dialogues with machines and other humans and how it's going to wrap into our life. And it was funny because about five and a half years ago, I was talking about some of my greater ideas about how personal assistants were going to operate. And it took a per per perspective of, of a woman to sort of say, you know, there's so many elements of privacy that I feel uncertain about. And this is somebody who's really into tech. I really feel uncertain about. And I don't know if I want to give myself over to that technology that much unless something else is being given back to me as security. And not a false security that, hey, you have a 900-digit password. It, a, a true security can be, be manifested locally. And, well, it's and I, good then that, uh, you know, Facebook, uh, going back to what we were talking about yeah. earlier, uh, Facebook will uh, take our personal information and give us back in return ads. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have we'll have a, in our in our house we'll have a, our house will become a, a mini billboards a mini, a mini times square mini times yeah mini times square you have nothing but these screens you know and 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 and, and frankly Everybody listening to us, is that what we really want, including the people that are monetizing these platforms? I hope that some of the leaders out there are listening. Is that the world you really want? Because, you know, we're, we're inventing a new modality. And if we were to reinvent the web again, I think we would fix a lot of mistakes. I, I've been listening to uh, Mark Andreessen a lot, and, and, and he's come full circle on what he would have done with the browser if he would have had that chance to live it again. You know, we're at that moment right now. And, and I can't stress it enough. And that's why Ahmed and I, we, we have discussions. We went on for hours talking about this stuff. We, we can shape this in a way that is going to be really helping humanity 
And it's just not some golly gee, let's help humanity. It's that if technology does not help humanity, it is not technology. It is something else. Uh, you can name it whatever you want, but it is not technology. Technology is here to amplify and assist humanity, not to replace it. And we, might, we can get all sci-fi about AI. It ain't happening. There's no, we don't even know what human intelligence is. And I have yet to find anybody who can show me where the mind is. They can show me where the brain is, but I can show you scientifically you cannot prove where the mind is. And this is not being metaphysical. It's a fact. If you can't identify human intelligence clearly, then you would never identify artificial human intelligence. You will create some form of intelligence. It won't be human. And it may coexist with humanity, but ultimately we're going to be interacting with it. And we need to create these ground rules and I don't think Ahmed can be skeptical enough. And he comes off as skeptical to some folks. I think it's purity of trying to see where this is taking us. And, uh, and, and you know, Bradley, you're right. You know, if, if Facebook were just simply to take that feed and to find all these situational ads to stick on the screen, they've not moved a meter one iota. And I think in a marketplace of ideas, they're going to fail. If, in fact, that's what they do. And if, in fact, Google, Apple, Amazon ultimately will fail if that's as far as they get. And you want to know something? Some startup founder, maybe they're 12 years old, maybe they're 17, is going to hear this message and they say, I'm the next Steve Jobs. I'm going to do this the right way. And all these other folks that got mired into their old modalities of, of advertising units, they didn't see what the real future was like. And, and I think some of us are already kind of trying to champion that in our own little way. But it's got to start with privacy. It's yeah. got to start with human integrity and, uh, and, uh, and that's in ingenuity. Yeah. It takes ingenuity and creativity. Uh, uh, no, that's great. The only thing I want to add to that, uh, because I think this is fascinating, I, I've, seen, I've seen some very well-meaning folks out there and I've been in conversations with them who, are, who think that um, – that um, that companies uh, should uh, adopt some norms of behavior and um, that are are ethically sound and so forth, and that uh, and that following those norms and setting the borders and saying we are not going to do X, Y, and Z because it is not good for society and so forth. I think that is not the way to go about this. I think the way that like like everything else, there is there is a market. And there are people who want to make money. And I think uh, what's going to happen is if it if it crystallize if it crystallizes in people's minds that there is a problem called privacy, and vendor A solves that problem for me, and vendor B does not solve that problem for me, and vendor A and vendor B provide me with the same value, and privacy is important for me, I'm going to buy from vendor A. Meaning it is monetizable. All these problems are monetizable. Somebody can create a company that touches that goes to our values. I mean the value of privacy, the value of um, of uh, of being able to live a healthy life, for example, uh, 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 building technology that is not addictive, right? So uh, an example might be uh, there is a, uh, a you know a consortium or a company that rates that rates applications and technologies and says this is an addictive technology to the X degree, right? And so um, a person. Who cares about um, making sure that their kid does not get addicted? And I think we talked about it before. Would be able to make a decision that they would want about A versus B because A is not as addictive as, as B. So I think I think what the, we I think we sh we should not be expecting that you know um, there's a vanguard that will be looking out for humanity and will be establishing um, you know axioms of conduct that say 
uh, we should behave this way and that way and let's not do this and that because there are imperatives for business to make money and to be profitable. I think it's just going to be the logic of the market and as long as the market is free to do what they need to do or they don't have giants who are um, keeping them from being as creative as they as they as they as they can be to serve and deliver value, I think we will these problems will will be solved. We didn't make it to the story about Samsung's AirPod competitor, and we also didn't make it to discussing Voice First FM's new sponsor for this week in Voice, as well as the Voice First Roundtable, which is Voice XP. Fascinating company. We look forward to talking about them next week with a full press release and sharing with you about our partnership to deliver great content. For all of us at This Week in Voice, thank you again for listening, and until next time.